Well, good morning, everyone. I, uh, my, my main goal in life this morning is not to wind up on a blooper reel somewhere. So we are, um, we're live, I think. We have the, uh, I have Ryan over here and my family who are checking to see if we're live and everything's coming out right in the end. So I hope everyone's doing well. And, uh, this is kind of an adventure for us. And, uh, we'll see how everything goes this morning, but we're excited to uh, to be able to gather in some limited sense. And it looks like a good number of you uh, are already with us. If you see somebody who's not on here already, um, just go ahead and tag them in the comments um, under the, the live feed. And uh, they'll hopefully be able to click on that. Are we good? Everything coming through like it's supposed to? All right. All right. Well, we're good to kind of see everyone this morning and um, again continue to tag folks and um, hopefully more and more people will come on all right let's uh, see if we can fix that We are working on, I see that uh, you don't have a video and we're trying to figure that out right now. So we're just hanging with us for a minute and uh, we'll try to get that figured out. Well, I haven't been saying anything. That's probably why they're not hearing sound. Um, So, can you switch it to the screen or switch it to the camera? That's what this is supposed to do. And then I click in OK. If you hit the little icing. Bump it up a little. All right, now maybe we have some video.
Well, I think we now should have video. All right. And uh, hopefully we're back in business here for a minute. There was just a little technical glitch. So sorry about that, everyone. And I'm um, glad to kind of see all of you. And uh, you see us. And we're um, glad to be kind of gathered together this morning. Um, let me tell you a little bit about what's, uh, what's going to be happening this morning. Um, just kind of want to go through our church life and um, kind of how things are going to happen for the next few weeks, kind of by way of announcements. And uh, then I want to give you an opportunity to um, share a little bit. Now, we are delayed significantly. We're, I'm being told we're almost two-minute delay here. So um, I'm not seeing your comments. Uh, well, I'm, I may see your comments right away and read them out, but you're not going to hear that um, for a couple of minutes. So... Um, what I would encourage you to do is just, um, if you have a prayer request or something that we uh, could remember, um, just put those in the comments, and then other people who are who are dialed into this uh, live stream will be able to see those as well and remember you uh, in prayer. Um, what I want to do for us this morning is um, um, do those announcements and just kind of read along with prayer requests. We'll read some scripture together. And I'll show a little video, and then we are going to spend some time just thinking together about um, how God's Word intersects with the things that we're going through right now, and uh, some principles that we want to keep in mind, um, kind of loosely related to the book of Acts, because we're going to be talking a lot about the church and the nature of the church. But uh, next week, I plan to pick up our not kind of normal exposition, um, resuming through the book of Acts and continue on, on that, that route, so... We are going to do our worship services um, for the next few weeks for the foreseeable future, uh, like we're doing them right now. So we're going to continue to do these Facebook Live events as we get better at it. Things will be smoother, I trust, and we won't have some of the technical glitches as much. Um, probably about the our hope is that about the time we get good at it, uh, we won't have to do it anymore. Uh, but uh, be that as it may, um, we're hoping to get that a little bit smoother, and then we can kind of gather together in some sense. Um, on Sunday mornings at 10.30, and uh, so that's what we'll be doing. We'll be doing that um, on Facebook. Uh, the reason we've chosen that format is because I think it's the one that most are, are the most familiar with, and so it's easy for people to um, interact with a format that they're already familiar with and get on there and watch the stream. Um, however, this format is not conducive to interaction, so for our um, book studies, for our ladies and men's book studies, as well as for our life groups, we're going to move to Zoom. Some of you are familiar with Zoom from work. Um, it's more designed for interaction because it's designed specifically for business, for meetings, and those kind of things. So we'll be doing our live group, uh, our life group, and our um, ladies and men's book studies uh, from that format. So tonight, the ladies will have their regular um, book study, um, but it'll be through Zoom. So. Um, be looking for an email to go out with the link uh, for that. You don't have to pay for the program to use it. Um, you can use the free version if someone else is setting up the meeting, and we already have the platform um, or paying for that, so um, you'll be able to, to come into that meeting uh, without any problems. You can do it through your browser, um, or you can download the software, um, but uh, let us know if you're having difficulty with that, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, to help you. Um, I'm going to read for us um, from Psalm 90, 
And so if you have a Bible um, close by, I would encourage you um, to get that out and follow along. God's people are going through a difficult time, a trying time, a time of calamity. And Moses um, writes this psalm, which is a plea uh, for God's mercy um, and an acknowledgement of God's people's dependence on him. So the psalm is a little more lengthy than we often read, but I would encourage you to um, turn to Psalm 90 and follow along as I read aloud. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. For the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood, they are asleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and your wrath, uh, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all your days have passed away in your wrath, for all our days have passed away in your wrath, and we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yea, establish the work of our hands. May God bless to our understanding this, the reading of his word. Well, we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and we're kind of at that midpoint. We have just recently, if you've been with us, you know that we just recently started Acts 13 and 14, which is really the beginning of the the missionary portion of the book of Acts. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Dan um, preached from Acts 13 and uh, finished up that first missionary journey that we talked last week about the Jerusalem Council, the debate that was going on there with the Judaizers and how the understanding of proper theology actually fits in with um, the missionary endeavors. We emphasized last week that sometimes people get this idea, this false dichotomy between uh, you know, theology, sound theology, sound truth, sound doctrine, on the one hand, and on the other hand, well, we should be winning the world for Jesus and instead of um, you know, uh, worrying about the details of theology. And in fact, what we pointed out last week that those two are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go, they go hand in hand. Uh, it is important for us to, to be sharing the truth accurately, for us to understand the truth accurately, and for us to be broadcasting that truth to others. And so that's really what we saw, kind of a pause right in the middle of this missionary fervor portion of Acts. And 
the importance of understanding truth, understanding the, especially the nature of the gospel, which is really the debate that was taking place with the Judaizers. So we're kind of in that beginning of the second half of the book of Acts. And so what I wanted us to do this morning is to watch a little video that's, um, we've seen uh, other videos from this series. We watched one at the outset of our study of the book of Acts, and that um, kind of introduced us to the first half of Acts. And this one uh, reminds us of some of those things and links us into the second half of the book of Acts and the importance of uh, what was taking place there. So we're going to try this video thing again and hopefully... Um, have a little bit better luck this time with our our video, and um, share that share that with you. Give me just a moment to switch everything over. The Book of Acts. In the first video, we watched Luke open the book by showing us how the risen Jesus was exalted as the king of the world. He promised to send the Holy Spirit as his own personal presence to empower his followers to go out into the world and bear witness to the good news about his kingdom until he would return one day. And so the movement began in Jerusalem as the Spirit came and formed Jesus' followers into the new temple promised by the scriptural prophets. But this generated conflict with the leaders of Jerusalem, and so it led to the persecution of the Christians. But the Spirit transformed it into good. It actually became the means by which the originally Jewish Jesus communities were pushed outside Jerusalem to become a multi-ethnic international movement. And the flagship church of this diverse Jesus movement was in Antioch, the largest city in that part of the Roman Empire. So we left the story with Barnabas and Paul serving in the Antioch church, and the Spirit prompts the church to send them on a missionary journey, which opens up a whole new section of the book. The story is about Paul and his co-workers traveling to different cities around the Roman Empire, announcing the good news that Jesus is king. The first mission is into the interior of what's called Asia Minor, found in modern Turkey, and it ends with an important meeting of the apostles back in Jerusalem. The second mission is through Asia Minor and then into ancient Greece. And then the third mission is through that same territory again, and it concludes with Paul's journey all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, in recounting all these stories, Luke has highlighted a number of important themes by repeating them. So first is the continued mission to Israel. Whenever Paul enters a new city, he always goes first to the Jewish synagogue to share about the risen King Jesus and how he's forming a new multi-ethnic family of God. Now, most often, lots of people come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but some oppose Paul. Sometimes they even throw him out of town as a dangerous rebel who opposes the Torah and Jewish tradition. And this tension culminates after the first journey, leading to an important council in Jerusalem. So Paul discovers that there are some Jewish Christians in Antioch, and they're claiming that unless non-Jewish people become Jewish by practicing circumcision, the Sabbath, obeying the kosher food laws, that they can't become part of Jesus's family. But Paul and Barnabas, they radically disagree. And so they take the debate to a leadership council in Jerusalem. Now there, Peter, Paul, and James, the brother of Jesus, they all show from the scriptures and from their experience that God's plan was always to include the nations within his covenant people. 
So they write a letter requiring non-Jewish Christians to stop participating in pagan temple sacrifices, but they don't require them to adopt an ethnically Jewish identity or obey the laws in the Torah. Now, this decision was groundbreaking for the history of the Jesus movement. Jesus, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he's also the risen king of all nations. And so one's membership among his people is not based on ethnic identity or following the laws of the Torah. It's based simply on trusting Jesus and then following his teachings. And it's this multi-ethnic reality of the Jesus movement that leads us to the next theme Luke wants us to see in the missionary journeys, namely the clash of cultures between the early Christians and the Greek and Roman world. Luke records multiple clashes in Philippi, Athens, and Ephesus. Paul goes and announces Jesus as the revelation of the one true God and as the king of the world, who shows up all other gods and idols as powerless and futile. And his message is consistently viewed as subversive to the Roman way of life, and he gets accused of being a dangerous social revolutionary. These stories show how the multi-ethnic, monotheistic Jesus communities did not fit into any cultural boxes known to the Roman people. The ancient world had just never seen anything like them. And the Christians aroused more than just suspicion. Another theme Luke repeats is how Paul and the Christians are constantly being accused of rebellion, even treason against Caesar, the Roman emperor. People heard Paul correctly. He was announcing that there's another king, Jesus. And they also correctly saw that the Christian way of life was a challenge to many Roman cultural values. But every time Paul gets arrested and interrogated before Roman officials, they don't see any threat and he's dismissed. These stories show us the paradox that the early church presented to the world. It was a Jewish messianic movement, but it was ethnically diverse, full of communities that treated men and women and rich and poor and slave and free all as equals. And they all gave their allegiance to King Jesus alone and no other God or king. And so their very existence, it turned upside down the core values of Roman culture, but the Christians posed no military threat because Jesus taught them to be people of peace. And so the only crime Paul and the Christians can be accused of is not conforming to the status quo. The book's final section returns the focus to Paul's witness spreading from Jerusalem to Rome. His final missionary journey ends back in Jerusalem, where his controversial reputation precedes him. He gets attacked by Jewish people who think that he's betrayed Israel, which attracts the attention of Roman soldiers who think Paul's a terrorist from Egypt starting a rebellion. And so he gets arrested. From here, Paul is put on trial, first before the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, but then before a series of Roman leaders in Caesarea. There's Governor Felix, who puts Paul off for the next governor, Festus, who eventually brings Paul before King Agrippa. He ends up in prison for years, even though at each trial, the charges never stick to him, because all he's doing is announcing that his hope in the resurrection has been fulfilled in King Jesus. This is hardly a crime, but at this point, the Roman legal machine can't just turn him away, and so Paul ends up appealing to Rome's highest court. Now, you would think that all this prison time would be a setback for Paul because his heartbeat is to be on the road starting new Jesus communities. But the Spirit orchestrates everything for good in this book. And so the imprisonment gives Paul time to have his most important apostolic letters written. And these become the way that his missionary legacy is carried on long after he dies. 
Eventually, Paul was transferred as a prisoner to Rome, and after a terrifying near-death voyage across the Mediterranean, Paul ends up in house arrest in Rome, awaiting his delayed trial. And so he's able to host, in quite a nice house, regular meetings that reach Jews and Gentiles. And the book's final words are about how Paul is announcing the kingdom of God and boldly teaching all about the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, totally unhindered, all happening right under Caesar's nose in Rome. The unified work of Luke Acts, it does so much more than give us a history of Jesus and the early church. He's showing how the kingdom of God came on earth as in heaven through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through the coming of his spirit to empower the church to bear witness from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And as Luke has told the story, he's given us scores of example of what faithfulness to King Jesus looks like. It looks like sharing the good news of the risen King Jesus in word and in action. It means forming diverse Jesus communities where people of all kinds come together, where they're treated equally and give allegiance to King Jesus and live by his teachings. And all of this is done by trusting in the power and the guidance of the Spirit to lead the way forward. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. So this morning I want to bring you some challenges um, that are specifically related to um, the things that we're going through. Uh, they're related to what we just talked about in the book of Acts. What is the church? And I think it's important, as we just saw in the video, for us to think properly, for us to think well uh, about the church. And so I am going to kind of do something, you know, that's a little bit out of our normal pattern. I want to share several different passages of Scripture with you. Um, and in so doing, um, help us kind of think through this time. As I said, next week we'll con con resume our normal exposition through the book of Acts. But this morning, I want us to reflect on the nature of the church. Uh, what the book of Acts tells us, and um, what we know to be true um, during this time. Before we do that, why don't we just pause for a moment and ask for God's help and blessing as we um, think together about his word. Our Father, we are thankful that in this day and age, even though we are not able to meet um, as a group face-to-face, -face, we are still allowed to have some measure of communication with one another, um, time together thinking um, about your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use these moments that we have together to edify us, to encourage us. Lord, I pray for each one right now who is in their home, who is watching this video. Um, I pray that you would um, knit our hearts together in a special way, that you would give us the comfort and the peace of knowing that you're in control, and help us during this time to be a testimony to the world around us. We offer these moments to you as we think together about your word in Christ's precious name. Amen. So I've been doing a little bit of um, research and digging and, uh, you know, a lot of times it's interesting. I've, I've heard um, several people say of late, uh, I've never seen, you know, a line like this at the grocery store. I've never seen supplies like this at the grocery store. Now, those of you who are from Florida, you've been through disasters before, and so some of the things that are happening, you might notice similarities, as I have, to um, other disasters that you've been through, specifically hurricanes. But uh, in reality, nothing that we go through is completely without precedent. And that's even true of the church, of 
Um, that as we think back through church history, really nothing we've gone we go through in our lifetime is isolated to just us. Even as you look back um, to the life of Martin Luther, well before viruses were understood as they are today, uh, he went through an epidemic and has some writings on the right response during uh, during that time. Uh, more recently, if you just look at American history, it's been about 102 years ago um, that something very similar to this happened. Um, the Spanish flu of 1918-1919 um, was a very similar event, uh, especially in the early in the early days. Now, um, our, our governmental authorities are stepping in with a, um, a responsibility, an effort to to curb uh, the spread of this virus, and they're doing that in, in large part because epidemiologists have studied what happened in 1918 and 1919 and what happens if there's not adequate um, mitigation of this kind of event. But, but be that as, as it may, we have you know, the records of what the churches did, and I was reading an article uh, this week that specifically uh, focused on the churches in Washington, D.C., um, during the Spanish flu of 1918. In the, on the 1st of October, there were a few dozen confirmed cases of the Spanish flu in the D.C. area. And that number began to multiply even in the early days of October. So the health authority there in Washington, D.C. asked that there, there not be gatherings, and they specifically articulated that the theaters were to be closed, that churches were not to meet, and on and on the list goes. And so um, the pastors gathered together, the, the Protestant pastors of Washington, D.C., gathered together at a conference and unanimously um, voted for, for a statement to be made uh, about their response to this. And this was the statement that they, that they um, formulated. Resolved, in view of the prevailing condition of our city, the widespread prevalence of influenza... Uh, we, the Pastors Federation and Special Assembly, do place ourselves on record as cheerfully complying with the request of the commissioners, which we understand applies to all churches alike. We furthermore recommend that our people shall conduct in their own homes some form of religious worship, remembering in prayer, especially the sick, our allied nations at war, and the present canvas uh, for the fourth liberty loan. So the pastors simply say, well, this is what the authority is asking us to do. And so we're going to comply with that, and um, we're asking people to stay home and to worship at home, which is, um, interestingly enough, 102 years later, what we're doing all over again. Now, of course, at that point, they didn't have some of the technological uh, advances, um, prospects that we have, even this that we're enjoying this morning. But I want us to know that um, we're not alone. Um, this will pass, and we will get back to life at normal. Um, but this is an opportunity for us to reflect on some very careful ways of thinking. First of all, why is this happening? Well, if we're thinking Christianly, if we're thinking from a biblical point of view, we understand that all sickness, all calamity, all difficulty, all hardship uh, comes because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. Right? God created the world perfectly. Um, he created it without flaws, yet man chose to rebel from him. And even when we think our way is better, it's not. And man quickly discovered that his rebellion from God 
led to disaster. And so in Genesis 3, we see a curse is placed on all of creation because of the sin of mankind, because of his choice to rebel. And we know that Jesus Christ came to provide the payment for our rebellion so that we could be restored and made right with God. But, but in the meantime, until the culmination of that work of Christ, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has viruses, for example. And so all of this really happens because we live in a Genesis 3 world. At the same time, we need to recognize that God is sovereign. He rules over all things. That he is in complete control, even of these aspects of the world that are due to the fall. He, he still limits them. He does not let them run as far as he might. And for our good, God is sovereign, and so nothing comes into our lives but through his control. And so that's something that's important for us to be reminding of ourselves in respect to the character of God. So that's one thing that I want us to be thinking about. Why does this happen in the first place? And as we reflect on that biblical truth, I think the application of that for us is thy kingdom come, right? This is, this is, um, this is something that reminds us of longing for the day when Jesus makes all things right, when he is ruling actively on earth, and we once again see what it is like to live in a creation that is submissive to his rule. Right now we live in a creation that is rebellious from his rule. And so anytime we see calamity or death or sickness, it should ignite in us a, a thirst, a, a hunger for the day that things will be made right under the rule of Jesus. Um, I've noticed um, on Facebook, um, social media conversations, that there's a lot of, um, a lot of interesting if you will, things that uh, are coming down the pike and, and some um, some misguided thinking. I don't mean on anybody specifically, um, but sometimes um, when we're not sure how to handle a situation, uh, not sure how to think about a situation, people will just kind of throw things out there. And So I think it's important also for us to understand the role of government. Um, God has given government as a, as a good gift. Um, he has given it to us for our protection. Now, there is such a thing as bad government. But it's interesting that in Scripture, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the early days of the church were living under bad government. And yet, the Scripture still speaks about that authority as a, as a good gift. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that God has given us the blessing of government who is in part responsible for the protection of its people. Um, so in the email that I sent out, um, earlier this week in our announcement, I shared with you 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to kings as supremes or governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that they by doing good, uh, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So part of our responsibility as believers is to submit to the authorities in so much as they are, are rightly um, under the rule of God. In other words, they're not telling us to do something that is contradictory to Scripture. To submit to those authorities. And so your church leadership has made the decision to, to go to this platform to suspend in-person services, really because um, those that are in authority over us 
have asked us to do so. And we believe that it is a right and good thing to do. Um, and so we should exercise prudence. We should exercise um, judgment. And our, our leadership is part of that function. And so we will, um, for the time being, as long as we're being asked to by the authorities, um, to function in submission to that. Of course, anytime you go through something that is, um, so the application to that is obvious, right? We, we, ha- we all have authorities over us. Um, we should submit to those authorities. And um, that's what we're doing, not only individually, um, but as a church as well. And then I want us to be reminded of the fact that um, we read in our call to worship that God is, is the one in whom we trust. He is the one that knows the end from the beginning. He is the one who is sovereign. And so because of that, the application is that we need not fear. Second Timothy tells us God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so Christians during these times ought not be those who are, are fearful, um, those who are panicked, if you will. We should be prudent. We should prepare ourselves well. But we should not be participating in any, any sense of, of panic. Um, God's in control. And um, of all of the things that we could go through, this is certainly not the worst. And um, we, we, uh, we do what we're being asked to by the authorities. Um, we know that ultimately, although we take protective measures, um, God is in control. And uh, he will do what, what he Uh, deems best, and we will submit to that. So for that reason, we don't have to fear. We have a loving God who cares for us, who will always do what is right and do what is best. And in this brief time, um, of course, we've been asked to not meet together. So I want to make some comments about that whole idea of meeting together. Hebrews 10, um, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what's clear is one of the functions of a church is to gather together in order to build one another up. And in verse 24 says to stir up love and good works. So part of our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ who are covenanted together in a local assembly is for us to encourage one another, to, to stir one another up to love and good works. And we do that in part by gathering together. So gathering is important. So there's kind of two, um, two ditches, if you will, that you can get off, to, off in your thinking. Um, the first is, um, well, the, the one extreme is, is we're reminded this is, a, this is a temporary, necessary, brief pause that we are exercising in submission to our authorities. I don't believe this is at all a violation of the Hebrews command. Right, so the Hebrew says to not forsake, to not to not reject or put off. It is it's not that we are willfully choosing to not assemble. In fact, it's reflected by the fact that I think our attendance is as good today or 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 better than it is sometimes in live services. But we we all have that that longing to fulfill this command. But we are in a in a brief pause from being able to do that. It's not that we're forsaking that assembly. It's that we are having to to put that on pause. Much like if you were sick individually. Um, you are unable to come. It, it's it's something that you're not able to do. It's not that you are are forsaking of it. So I don't see this in any way as a violation of the command uh, in Hebrews. In this case, the disability comes from not personal illness, but from kind of a 
a corporate, uh, a national illness, that we're trying to prevent the spread of, of a contagion um, that is, that is um, in, in society. So the one extreme is, is wrong thinking is that we must gather together even in the face of being asked not to by the authorities. And you've perhaps seen the news stories of a few churches out there that are kind of thumbing their nose uh, at what they're being asked to do and meeting nonetheless. And I don't believe that that's um, a right application of, of Hebrews 10. By the same token, it is still necessary, it is still important for us to meet together, even though we're having to put uh, a, a brief pause on that, it is still important for us as a church. So the, the wrong thinking can go something like this. Well, you know, it's, it's fine because the, the church isn't a place, it's a people. Well, absolutely, that's true. The church is not a place. It, it is a people. In fact, if you've taken North Hills 101, you know that we emphasize there the church is not a building, it is a people. But there's more to it than that. We are uh, a, a certain type of people that do a certain type of thing. That is to say, we are a group of gospel people who are committed, we are covenanted to one another to live life together as a body of Christ, to, to follow Jesus together in community. And so one of the important aspects of that is exactly what Hebrews 10 tells us, that, that we are to gather together on a regular basis to provoke one another to love and good works. And so it, it's, it's not quite right for us to think that what we're doing this morning substitutes for the real thing. I was listening to a podcast this week, uh, and a pastor was commenting on how they were going to handle this situation, and they're actually not doing anything this morning um, as far as a corporate gathering, nothing online or anything like that. And then the reason he explained was because um, he didn't want to do anything that presented or, or implied that this could substitute for a corporate gathering. Well, I understand his point. Obviously, we came to a different conclusion because you're seeing me this morning, all right? Um, but I, I do sympathize with the point that I, I fear that we might fall into the trap of thinking, I mean, the, the look, the, the online church movement kind of has been going now for a number of years, you know, kind of this idea, well, I don't have to go to church. I go to church on my computer. I go to church at home. No, you don't. No, you don't. You may watch a sermon. You may be entertained by the music. But you're not going to church because part of what we do as a church is to gather together, to encourage one another, to sing together. Right? These are all important things. And so even though we're doing the best that we can this morning with the, the kind of the, the opportunity that we have, don't mistake this for what we really um, normally and regularly do um, on, on Sunday morning. And so... Um, it is important for us to meet together. But here's the thing that I think we can apply, the thing that I think we can think through as we as we realize that. A sermon stream is is not a substitute for a covenanted congregation. Um, we're, we're not a church if we don't gather. Uh, we're Christian individuals, right? So people say the church is, is people. That's true. But it's not really a church until it's gathered. Um but by the same token, I think being apart for this brief time uh, creates for us um, an opportunity to realize what we really have. 
an opportunity to recognize the importance of what we normally do. Um, I hope that this morning kind of felt off to you. Did, did it feel like weird to you to not be getting up and getting ready for church? And um, I mean, you know, the, the stream was going to come at 1030, but it, it wasn't quite the same. I, I hope I hope that in some positive way, we all feel a little unsettled by not being by not being able to gather together. Um, and God, in his unusual providence, I think is reminding us about the importance of of gathering together. So I referred at the outset to the, the the epidemic that took place in 1918 and 1919. And I want to read to you the comments from a pastor. It's, it's Francis Grimke, who was the pastor of the 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. during the Spanish flu epidemic. And this is, this is interesting what he wrote, and I want you to think about it in respect to what we're going through right now. He said, Another thing that has impressed impressed me during this uh, uh, this epidemic is brought in a way that is very gratifying the high estimation in which the Christian church is held in the community, the large place which it, which it occupies in the thought of the people. The fact that for several weeks we have been shut out from the privilege of the sanctuary has brought home to us as never before what the church has really meant to us. We hadn't thought very much about it, perhaps, of the privilege while it lasted. But the moment it was taken away, we saw at once what it meant to us. One of the gratifying things to me during this scourge is the sincere regrets that I have heard expressed all over the city by numbers of people at the closing of the churches. The theater goers, of course, have regretted the closing of the theaters, I do not know whether the children or the teachers have regretted the closing of the schools. I have heard no regrets expressed for that. (laughs) But I do know large numbers of people have regretted the closing of the churches. I hope that now, I hope that now that they are opened again, we will see all showing appreciation by attending regularly their services. It would be a great calamity to any community to be without the public ministration of the sanctuary. There's no single influence in the community that counts for more than the Christian church. It is of the institutions particularly that ought to be strongly supported, that ought to be largely attended, that ought to have hearty well wishes of every man and woman within them. It is a great mistake for anyone to stand aloof from the Christian church. And I hope that's our response to this. I hope that it it helps us to relish the opportunities that we normally do have together, to not take those lightly, to not take those for granted, and that when we are able to gather together again in person, it seems that much sweeter. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so while this morning we are doing something to encourage ourselves in the word, We're taking some time for family worship. I think it's important for us to recognize that we will be that much more glad when we are told it's time to go to church. It is time for us to gather together with God's people and celebrate the goodness of of God and encourage one another. Well, I hope those simple thoughts are helpful this morning as you reflect on God's word. 
What we're going to do in a few moments is um, dismiss ourselves to a time of family worship where we'll gather together in our homes. And um, I hope that you received a um, by email a family worship guide that kind of gives you some songs that you can sing. We've included copies of those in there. At the outset of that, there that little packet, there is actually a, um, a little Bible story that reflects on this portion of Acts that we are in and some things for you to discuss if you have children in your home that you're meeting with. And I uh, would encourage you to read that together and, uh, and then reflect on those things, do some singing together, and then spend some time in prayer. Um, as we are prayerful this morning, I want us to reflect on the opportunity that we have even in the face of um, the unexpected, the unusual. Um, this is an opportunity. It is an opportunity for us to spend more time with family, an opportunity for us to interact in a way that perhaps we don't normally. It's kind of a forced slowdown and reflect. And those are good things to have at times. Um, that's one um, positive that we can see come out of this, that God uses it to to cause us to pause and to think more deeply, to reflect. And so I hope you have some time even this morning to do that uh, with your family. As you pray, pray that um, this time will sharpen your appreciation for what we normally have and pray for God to restore it soon. Um, obviously pray for our nation that um, this calamity would soon pass, that things would settle down and we are able to resume life um, as normal. I would also encourage you to pray for those whose health is vulnerable, those whose health is perhaps fragile. There are even in our, uh, in our numbers those who are more susceptible um, to a sickness like this, and it would be um, particularly difficult for them to endure. And so pray for God's protection, specifically on those in our congregation, um, who are at a little bit a little bit higher risk. And by the same token, I would encourage you to do what you can. I was encouraged to talk to Pat the other day and find out that numerous people have already offered to go get her groceries, for which she's appreciative, and I'm appreciative too. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep that up. Text one another often, um, keep in touch with each other, check in on each other, pray for one another, and um, do what you can to help even during this time of separation. And most of all, as our hymn of the month reflects, which is interesting, the timing of this hymn of the month, um, God build your church. Uh, we pray that God will use this unusual time, this thing that he has done in his providence to build his church, to strengthen us, to help us. And so let me close us in prayer. And after we close in prayer, um, you'll be dismissed to a time of family worship uh, where you can spend some time singing, praying together, and reflecting on God's Word. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this gathering that we've been able to have this morning. We pray that it is encouraging to hearts. We pray that it is helpful to us as we strive to serve you, as we struggle to be a community even in the face of physical separation. And Lord, may you use this time to build your church. We know that in your providence, you can make all things work together for good, and so we look forward to seeing how you will do that in this time. Bless us now as we serve you even throughout this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Have a good week, and please uh, stay in touch and pray for one another. Thank you.